Thanks all of you for the great music this morning. It's downhill from here I'm preaching, all right? I invite you to open your Bibles, if you would, to Revelation. We're going to read from chapter 11. If you've been following along, you realize we're also going to cover 8, 9, and 10 this morning, so put on your seatbelt. I want to begin by reading a passage from Isaiah. Because where we're getting to this morning in Scripture is the day of the Lord. And what the saints around the throne have been praying for, what we have been waiting for for all these years, is, is here. It's coming to pass, and we're seeing it in Scripture. But listen to Isaiah, the prophecy from Isaiah, chapter 13, verses 9 through 11. Behold, the day of the Lord is coming, cruel with fury and burning anger, to make the land a desolation, and he will exterminate its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Thus I will punish the world for its evil and the wicked for their iniquity. I will also put an end to the arrogance of the proud and abase the haughtiness of the ruthless. It's not a pretty picture, is it? Where we're going to get to this morning in Revelation, there's parts of it that are, that are horrendous. In fact, I'm wondering if the reason sometimes we shy away from the book of Revelation, most people say, well, I just can't understand it. Well, the word means reveal, so God has revealed this to us to study. In fact, the, the word promises us blessing if we will study it. I'm suspicious that another reason we don't read the book of Revelation is because it's scary. If you're here this morning and you're a believer, you have nothing to be scared of. We're going to cover that in a minute. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord, today you need to come to Christ because it gets scary. I don't know if you've ever watched a movie that is just dramatic. One of those cliffhangers, you're on the edge of your seat. Maybe a horror movie. And when it's finally over, you just... Well, if you went back and watched it again, would it be as frightening? Well, it shouldn't be because you know the end. And that's my point this morning as we work through these trumpet judgments. It shouldn't be that frightening for us who know Christ. Why? Because we know the end of the story. We know what this is heading so I want to read our focus passage this morning. It's in Revelation chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. And I want to start here this morning and then back up. Because if we start in chapter 8, and you don't know that we get to chapter 11 and beyond, you, you may have a, a, a wrong perspective. So let's get the perspective. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who are and who were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came, and the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of God which is in heaven was opened, 
and the ark of his covenant appeared in his temple, and there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder, and an earthquake and a great hailstorm. What do we see towards the end of chapter 11? We see in many ways relief. We see worship around the throne, and we see the culmination, the coming together of judgment. What are these people seeing? They're seeing the coming of Christ. And this is kind of, we kind of get right up to it, and then he backs up a little bit. We get right up to it, he backs up a little bit. After chapter 11, we've still got 11 chapters in Revelation. So how do we get to chapter 11? Well, we started with chapter 1. And if you're here thinking, well, I didn't get to hear that message. I don't know if you're interested, but you can hear the messages online if you go to iTunes and subscribe to Garden City Chapel Podcast. You can hear and kind of get caught up. You're welcome to do that. Or you can read it. It's right here in Scripture. But let's pick up where we left off last week. Where we left off last week was we've seen the six seals opened, and then we had this interlude. And in between the, the seals and the trumpets and the bowls, we'll get to bowls later, there's this break between 6 and 7, and we'll see that again this morning. There's a break between the 6th trumpet and the 7th trumpet. But in Revelation chapter 8, and I'm not going to read all of this, but I want to explain it, okay? So the beginning of the 7th seal, there's been this interlude, and when the Lamb broke the 7th seal, there was silence in heaven for a half an hour. Now, I've heard preachers say, that tells you there's no women in heaven. Women, if I were you, I'd say it proves there's no men in heaven. Okay? How could it be silent in heaven? And you think, silence. What does silence do? Sometimes silence draws your attention to something. The Word tells us to be still and know that I'm God. What has John been experiencing up until this time? He has heard peals of thunder. He has heard loud voices. He has seen those around the throne who never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So up to this point, heaven has been a noisy place. And it hadn't been a lot better on earth. It's been noisy. Things are happening. And we're about to hear the noise of these trumpets. And yet there's this break. For 30 minutes, it's just quiet. The angels aren't repeating their refrain, holy, holy, holy. There's no more thunder. There's no loud voices. It's just quiet. And then the angels prepare to blow the seven trumpets. I would call this silence just kind of the quiet in the middle of the storm. You ever experienced that? You've ever been through a hurricane? I haven't, I've lived here through some hurricanes. I wasn't here for Hugo, but one of the things that amazes people in hurricanes is these 100-plus mile-an-hour winds, sometimes 140-mile-an-hour winds. It's loud. If you're at your house, I mean, things are falling off the house. It sounds like the wind's just going to tear your house apart. And then all of a sudden, it's, it gets quiet. And if you're not careful, you walk outside, you think it's over. Why? Because it's quiet. What's happening? The eye's passing over. And you're about to get hit by the backside of the hurricane. And that's a pretty apt description of what's about to happen. Let me unpack these trumpets. I would say that trumpets are the most significant musical instrument in Scripture. And yet for you and I, when we hear the word trumpet, what do you think about? 
You think about a brass instrument. Kato, do we have that picture? Is it working? Oh, I'm looking there. That's, that's not on. Uh, that's, that's what he's talking about, a shofar. This is the trumpet. Even in Israel today, if you're in the Holy Land, you go to the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, when they're about to have the bar mitzvah, they're having a celebration, that's what they blow. So that's the picture we get of these seven angels standing with these seven horns, these trumpets of God about to blow these trumpets. The first one says, ushers in hail and fire mixed with blood, and it's thrown to the earth. And look what happens as a result. You kind of see this pattern that something happens, but then there's a result of what happens. So I'm covering chapters 8 and 9 somewhat in a hurry. But I want you to get the sense of what happens with these trumpets to get us to chapter 11. Hail and fire. A third of the trees are burned up. A third of the earth is burned up. And all of the green grass is burned up. What happens when a third of the earth is burned up and a third of the trees are burned up and all of the green grass is burned up? It's devastating. That means a third of the fruit trees are burned. A third of the trees that provide oxygen, a third of the trees that provide shade, all of the green grass is burned up. Now, you're going to see grass again, even in this passage as we're looking at this morning. What happens to grass after it's burned? It can come back. In fact, I don't encourage you to go home and do this today, but it actually comes back a little better. We had one of those fires at our house a few years ago. And, uh, you know, as frightening as it is to see kind of your grass burning, the next year I thought, wow, we need to do this every year. This grass looks good. It burned up all the, all the dead stuff. So all, everything that was green, all the green grass was burned up. Now, obviously, some of it might not have been green yet. It was dormant. And some that burned could come back. But a third of the trees are destroyed. A third of earth is destroyed. In fact, for folks who have worshipped the earth this is incredible calamity Romans puts it this way they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever amen so what happens when this devastation starts happening is some people have put all of their trust in what they think is unshakable and unmovable what happens when what you think is unshakable and unmovable starts shaking and moving hope goes out the window that's trumpet one. Trumpet two, and, and I've told you this before, but he's going to use the word again, like. Something like a great mountain. And I think John is seeing things. John has been tasked with an incredible responsibility in chapter one. It says, write down everything you see. How would you like to be have that job? He's writing down as best he can everything he sees, but I believe there's things John sees that he's never seen before. So he just says, what I'm seeing in this second trumpet it's like a huge mountain. Some scholars think he was seeing a meteor hitting earth. He sees this something like a great mountain burning with fire and thrown into the sea. A third of the sea becomes blood. A third of the sea creatures die. And a third of the ships on the sea are destroyed. We've never seen a tsunami like what would occur when this happens. And we know with modern technology... If if uh, if a meteor hits the Earth, do you think maybe they had already they maybe saw that coming? You know, we have scientists now that can can project out and see we got we got this meteor or this asteroid that's coming within you know 
100,000 miles of earth or something, and it scares us to death. Well, this one is coming, and there have been movies made about this, right? So he sees this great burning ball that just to him, it looked like a huge mountain, lands in the sea, and it destroys a lot of the sea creatures. And where the blood comes from, whether it was part of the mountain, or whether it comes just from what's destroyed in the sea, a third of the sea becomes blood. The third trumpet. A great star from heaven falls, burning like a torch, probably more like uh, an asteroid that has this flaming tail, and it, he sees it come, and it lands on earth, and a third of the rivers and springs become bitter, and he names the star Wormwood. Wormwood was a bush that they would make this bitter liqueur out of. In fact, I'm told that it's banned in a lot of countries, and so that's what's What's happening? So what's happening? The, the earth, the ground has been destroyed, the sea has been destroyed, and now a third of the rivers and springs have been made bitter. So the earth is in such chaos because food sources are destroyed, water sources are, are destroyed. You can go a little while without food, but you can't go very long without water. And we're going to see the result of that in a few minutes. The fourth trumpet, the sky is darkened, the sun, a third of the sun is dark a third of the moon is dark a third of the stars what happens if we lose a third of the sun the temperatures are going to change right it's going to affect plant life on earth that hasn't been destroyed it's going to affect the moon's going to affect ocean tides so again great calamity has happened and that's just the first four the first four have basically destroyed the earth the sea the waters the trees, vegetation has destroyed a third of all those things. And then we see this thing flying in the heavens. The word is actually eagle. Some of your translations may say angel, but it's not the Greek word angel that's used there. So I don't know why we translated in some of our translations angels. It's an eagle that flies through the heavens, kind of in the mid-heavens. And what is the eagle saying? He's saying, woe, woe. Woe, for emphasis, repeated three times, but there's also three woes. And what he's basically saying is, if you think the first four trumpets were bad, the next three are much, much worse. And we see that beginning with the fifth trumpet. A star that had fallen opened up the bottomless pit. The bottomless pit was always used to describe the place where incarcerated angels, apparently some of the demons that fell are free to move about planet earth but some are locked up in the bottomless pit and after the fifth trumpet is blown they're released out of the bottomless pit smoke rises darkening the sun and the moon locusts come out of the smoke locusts have we, we've seen them in plagues before right back in egypt there have been i think even in the 1800s there have been locust plagues that in just a brief period of time locusts can wipe out a crop but in this case, it's not the crops they were after. They're given the power to sting like scorpions. Scorpions are poisonous, and some species of, of scorpions can actually kill men. Others that don't have the power in their sting to kill men can make them crazy. And yet it's interesting. They're told you can't kill anybody without the seal of God, that has the seal of God. God sealed them. We looked at that last week. So if they're sealed, if they have God's mark on them, these scorpions can't touch them. And in fact, they can't kill anybody for five months. 
And I want you to look at the result of that. Men are seeking death. Literally, they can't even take their own lives. They are in such agony and torment, they want to die. And the Bible says death flees. Literally, death runs away or vanishes. And for five months, this is the plague, which, by the way, is about how long locusts live. But for five months, they are persecuting, torturing the unsealed inhabitants of earth. And they want to die, and they can't even die. They've set their heart on that. And then the sixth trumpet is the second woe. Four angels are released, and in this case, these are demons because angels are never bound. These angels or demons that were bound at the river Euphrates have been released, and they have the authority to kill one-third of mankind by plagues of fire, smoke, and brimstone. Well, let me bring you up to date on the math here. Last year, the census or the estimation of the world is, is there's a little over 7 billion people on the planet. Well, a few chapters ago, we saw a fourth of mankind has already been destroyed. Now a third of mankind, the remaining ones, is destroyed. So if there were 7 billion, half of the world's population at this point has been killed. A fourth and now a third, do the math, I did it. Seven billion, it's around 3.5 billion that have been destroyed. That's part of this sixth trumpet. They're killed by plagues of fire, smoke, and brimstone. And here's the thing that amazes me. You get to verse 20 of chapter 9. If you're following along, I want to look that I don't have it on the screen. But after all that happens, apparently nobody is in mystery over who's causing this. This is the day of God that has come upon man. But look at verse 20 of chapter 9. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their works. Can you believe that? The people that had wanted to die, the people who don't have enough to eat, the people who see the calamity that's come upon earth and they know it's by the hand of God, not only do they not repent, but they keep doing the things they were doing, which is they were worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. That amazes me. I don't get that. I don't get how you could go through what these people have gone through. You've seen the power of God at work, and God is still offering mercy. We'll see this in the first part of chapter 11. There's still witnesses telling people the gospel. And not only do they not repent, they want to kill the people that are telling them the, God, telling them the truth of God's Word. I, I don't understand that. Why is it that man would rather worship something that's made out of gold, silver, wood? It's because they can control it. And folks, it's a scary thing when your God is so small that you control it. Because the God we serve as believers, we cannot control. He is all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, all-present. That's the God of the Old Testament and New Testament. But I'm amazed that even through this calamity, it says they don't repent. In fact, the writer of Hebrews puts it this way in chapter 3. Jot this down, Hebrews 3, 7, and 8. Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me as in the day of trial in the wilderness quote from the Old Testament dealing with the wilderness wanderings of the children of Israel on their way to the promised land. 
Folks, don't be so arrogant that you think somehow you can control God. They don't repent of their idol worship, their worship of demons. They don't repent of their murders. Who do you think they're going to be murdering during these days? Anybody that comes to Christ. Anybody that those 144,000 witnesses or anybody that these two witnesses that it talks about in chapter 11, anybody that comes to faith in Christ, and there will be some, are murdered. Why? Because they're tired. They don't want to hear it anymore. They don't want to hear about God. They want to be stuck in the dark. In fact, it says they don't repent of their murders. It don't, they don't repent of their sorceries. It was interesting to me to find out the word sorcery. It literally means druggist. But it means those people who through incantation or through drugs are altering people's minds. They don't repent of immorality or of thefts. Why are they stealing things? Well, it's because food's scarce. Water's scarce. Basic provisions of life are scarce because things are being destroyed, and so they just steal them. That's how desperate they are. Then we get to chapter 10, and this interesting chapter, you kind of think, where does this come from? Out of the middle of nowhere, John has this vision. In the middle of the trumpet blast, the sixth one has sounded. We're waiting on the seventh. Another interlude, we get to chapter 10, and it talks about this little book that he sees. And scholars debate, what book's he talking about? Well, it's the same word used back, or it's actually a version of the same word used earlier of the scroll that was sealed up. It's what the word literally means, a roll. So we're talking about a scroll. Some scholars believe it's the Bible itself because John's going to ultimately eat this book. <laughs> Other scholars, and I happen to agree, I, I think it was the scroll that was sealed because John goes over to look into it and God tells him, seal it up. Don't write about what you see here. So this scroll that had seven seals, the seven seals have been opened. And we've seen the results of the seven seal judgments. And now out of that have come six of the seven trumpet judgments. And John's told, write everything you see, but don't write about this. Seal it up. And then there he's told, take it out of the hand of the angel right now that's holding it and eat it. And as you eat it, it's going to taste like honey. But when it gets in your stomach, it's going to be bitter. And then he's told, and you're going to continue prophesying. You're going to continue writing what you see because John is prophesying to who? Us. We get to read this word that, that John writes so that we can know about the end times. And we get to chapter 11. And we see these two witnesses. Some scholars think it's Moses and Elijah that come back. And they're sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. They're spreading the gospel. And the people hate them so much that they kill them and leave their body to lay in the street of Jerusalem for three days. And they have a party. They celebrate the fact that these troublemakers are dead. And what happens after three days? They come back to life. And God says, come on up here. And so they ascend into a cloud into heaven. Now, this sounds like this is better than any movie that's come out of Hollywood. I mean, this is incredible. But that's what it says in Scripture. So then we get to the focus passage. When the seventh angel sounded, 
Now, the seventh angel sounded, and what's going to come out of this are the seven bold judgments. We're going to get to those later. But, folks, as bad as the first six trumpets blasts were, for those who have faith in Jesus Christ, the seventh is good. Look what happens. When the seventh angel sounded, I now hear loud voices in heaven. Folks, you've been hearing this through the first 11 chapters. Loud voices. I've taught you one Greek word, and that's the word megos. It means big. In this case, it means loud. Can you remember that one? Because I want to teach you one more. Megos means what? By louds. All right, so I'm hearing these loud voices, and here's what they're proclaiming. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our God and of His Messiah, Christ. Now, think about that. When Jesus came to earth, when he was about 30 years old, Matthew chapter 4, he went and he was baptized by who? John, in the Jordan River. What did he do right after that? Went into the desert, went into the wilderness. And what happened while he was in the wilderness? He was tempted, okay? At the end of 40 days, we see the big three temptations. Do you remember what the last temptation was? If you will bow down, this is Satan speaking to Jesus, if you will bow down and worship me, he takes him up on a very high mountain where he can see everything. See, all the kingdoms of the world. He says, Jesus, if you'll just bow down and worship me, I'll give you all of this and all of its glory. And what does Jesus say? No. <laughs> and quote scripture. Well, what happens? In Revelation 11, it comes to pass. Jesus is given the kingdoms of the world. He wouldn't do it on Satan's timetable. He wouldn't do it Satan's way. He did it God the Father's way. And it ultimately came to pass. Jesus was going to get it all anyway. He just wasn't going to bow down and worship Satan to get it. So it finally has come to pass, and that's part of the worship here. It has become the kingdom of our Lord. Literally, God has taken over. Now, is it finished yet? Not yet. Still got 11 chapters. There's still a lot to come. But the tense of the word they use here in one more place in this chapter, they're speaking of something that is a future event as if it's already happened. How can you do that? Because that's how certain you are. You see what God's up to. You see the progression up to this point, and you say, it is here. We are right on the heels of what we have been waiting for. These prayers that have gone up before God. In fact, in, in the passage, and I haven't looked at that particular verse but from 8, 9, and 10, the, the angels are adding incense to the prayers that have gone up to the Lord. And His prayer, He's heard the prayers of His saints. And they're being answered. And because of that, there's an incredible rejoicing and worship in heaven. And then they say, and He will reign forever and ever. What does that mean? It means the reign of God will never end. He has reigned forever from time past. He's reigning now, really. But ultimately in heaven, He will reign forever and ever it never ends the 24 elders fell on their faces we see that a lot why is that because when they worship god the posture that they assume is i can't stand in the presence of god i can't even kneel i've just got to get on my face before god because i am so unworthy and he is so worthy so they fall on their faces and they worship god you remember back in chapter 9 it said those people that would not repent, they were also worshiping. They were attaching value to something. What were they attaching value to? They were attaching value to demons and idols that they had made with their own hands. 
the great theologian, Bob Dylan. You remember the song he sang? You got to serve somebody. Y'all remember him? If you're under like 40, I don't recommend you YouTube Bob Dylan. He, you know, he had a voice that I could have sung, you know, if if it were worked like that. Him and Joe Cocker, I kind of never got it, but both uh, apparently talented, popular, made a lot of money doing what they call singing. But he's right. You're going to serve something. The ones that wouldn't follow Christ, they're serving demons that are going to be cast in hell for eternity. They're serving idols that are going to be destroyed because they're made out of things that won't last forever. And yet the scene in heaven is they're worshiping God. I've told the ones that have been here before, the word most often used for worship in Scripture is the word proskuneo, and it means to kiss towards God. You're, here's the bottom line. You're kissing towards something. Anybody seen the movie Christmas Vacation? It was on yesterday. I don't know why. There's a scene in the movie where the granddad is going to kiss the child. He said, I'd take a rain check on that if I would, if I were you. He's got a lip fungus we ain't identified yet. <laughs> Bottom line is this. Don't be kissing towards something you don't know. <laughs> Those back in chapter 9 that have kissed towards Satan will spend eternity with him in hell, and it's not going to be pretty. We've all been created to live forever. Did you know that? It's either going to be away from God or it's going to be with God. So they're worshiping in heaven. And they're saying, we give thanks, O Lord God Almighty. The word Almighty is used ten times in the whole New Testament, nine times in the book of Revelation. And what are they saying? They're saying, you are sovereign. You are omnipotent. There is none like you. You are all powerful we're going to see satan flex some puny little muscles in the book of revelation but it is all under the permission of god and ultimately he's going to be put in his place god is all powerful because you are and you were basically expressing the eternal nature of god god has always existed and he always will exist and you have taken signifying the permanence of god's rule he is grabbed it and he's taken this kingdom back by your great power and you've begun to reign what happens for the believers they're worshiping about that what happens to the nations that reject christ they're mad it says they are enraged literally deep-seated hostility they resent god and so god's wrath came literally violent passion and the time for the dead to be judged is now. Three times in this passage, he's going to use the word time. Time has come. Literally, the season, the occasion has come. The dead will be judged. And there's also a time for reward. Judgment's not always a bad time. Judgment means to decide or distinguish. And this is where God is going to say, you people are condemned to eternal death. You people are blessed with eternal life. And you spend eternity with God. And it says the prophets, the saints. How do you become a saint? There's a lot of talk about that right now. It's not because you have, have two miracles attested to you. In the New Testament, the word saint was ascribed to those people who are followers of Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you've trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a saint. You may not feel like it. Because you're thinking, wait a minute, aren't saints holy? Well, let me tell you about holy. 
Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, says that Jesus now presents you before God holy, blameless, and beyond reproach. How does that happen? It only happens in Christ. It's not by your effort. It's only through Christ. The prophets and the saints, those who fear your name, the small and the great. Here's the other Greek word I was going to teach you. Small, micros. Small, micro. And the great, remember that word? Megas. The big and the little, the powerful and the people you've never heard about, they're going to be blessed for one reason. They're followers of Jesus Christ. And he's going to destroy those who destroy. And then the last thing and we're done. John gets to see the sanctuary of God. He's, he's been there. But two significant things that he sees in the sanctuary of God. First of all, he sees the ark of his covenant. One of the things the ark of that covenant represented was God's mercy. He also sees the flashes of lightning, the sounds and peals of thunder, the earthquake, and the great hailstorm. There's the word megas again. He's seen God's mercy. He has also seen the fact that God is present and his power. He's present in power and judgment. So, we're through chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. You walk away from it today and you just come in. I'm going to have to go back and read. <laughs> well, I encourage you, read chapters 8 and 9. We covered those trumpets pretty fast, but we get to the seventh one, and we're toward the end. John sees the return of Christ, the setting up of his kingdom. And folks, for the believer, that is good news. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, God, we acknowledge that the imagery that we see in these chapters we looked at this morning are beyond Really, the scope, we've just never seen anything like that before, and yet we understand that you're taking back that which is rightfully yours. And God, thank you that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you're, you're Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some through clenched teeth who have rejected you, but God, us today, we do that willingly because we acknowledge you are worthy. So God, comfort us by the fact that you're in control and you have a plan. You're not playing this off the cuff. You announced it to John, but it was part of your sovereign plan before John knew about it. And now, God, nearly 2,000 years later, we're reading about what's coming. And God, it seems like it's really close. And so, God, I pray that you comfort us with that. And Lord, if there's someone here that doesn't know you, May today be the day they would know you. Would today be the day that they come before a holy and righteous God and admit, yes, I am a sinner. And I know that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. And so today I receive him as my Lord and Savior. God, draw people to yourself in these moments. In Christ's name, amen.